0: you would encourage and build up your people, remind us of who you are and who we are, what you've called us from and what you've called us to as your people. Help us, give us understanding, and teach us, we pray. Amen and amen. You can have a seat. And I apologize for the technical difficulties. If need be, we'll just unplug and go old school. And I'll just stand at the front of the stage and talk really loud for a while. Good morning. We're glad that you're here with us today. Um, My name is Jake. I serve as the lead pastor here at River City. It's my job uh, week in and week out to open God's word. And I get that privilege here today with you. Uh, it's fun to see a lot of familiar faces, some we haven't seen over the summer. It's fun to see some new faces as people were coming in. So let me just give this shameless plug. I know that for many of us, families with kid activities, school beginning, college students, you're adjusting to new schedules, new expectations, and sometimes just the busyness that uh, in our time as the fall hits. Can I just encourage you to not shy discomfort, community. God has made us for community, and not only a community that perfectly matches our likes and dislikes, we might encourage and bless one another. You're here participating on Sunday mornings, and so we're excited that together we get to dig into God's word, loud and Perhaps offer our gifts in service wherever you're able. And I want you to consider connecting in a community group. Now, I know it's a little weird to just show up at some random person's house. Can I just encourage you to embrace that weird? I would personally love to connect in a community group, a host or a leader, uh, this morning even, and help reduce that weirdness even just a little bit because then they're not a stranger. At the back table, um, uh, after the service, we'd love to, to connect you. Okay, over. Primarily, your books of the Bible together in this fall. We'll be working through the Book of Exodus. So, if you have Bibles, you can turn to the Book of Exodus. If you need a Bible, some folks from our strike team will come around and can get a Bible into your hands so you can read along. Exodus is found toward the beginning of your Bibles. Um, It's the second book of the Old Testament, right after Genesis, In the Bible's being handed out. It is on page right near the beginning. We hope to cover Exodus over the next 12 weeks. Um, We'll take one week off in just a couple weeks when we're at the park on the 18th, Um, and because of that. And the nature of a book like uh which is a historical book, cover it in larger sections. We're not gonna small verse at a time, we're gonna cover it in larger move through the book relatively quickly. And to help you not just follow along, but also maybe read ahead. We've put together a simple reading plan. You can print them off and put them in your Bibles. It kind of look like this, which is a nice little bookmark. Um, we've linked it in our weekly update. So shameless plug number two, if you don't get our weekly update, it has all our announcements in it, links to registration for events, and occasionally stuff like this, which is helpful. Um, So there's the second shameless plug. If you'd like to follow along on kind of the order of, Lord willing, the the week uh, that we'll be uh, studying the particular passage for the entire series this fall. Now, um, Exodus is the second book of what is known as the Pentateuch, which consists of the first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. All five books are attributed to Moses, who wrote down and recorded the history of God's people from the beginning, Genesis one: In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now, Moses wasn't there when that happened, but that's what God told him to record. All the way through the end of Deuteronomy when Moses himself dies and Joshua takes the leadership role for the people of Israel and leads them into the land that God had promised them. Exodus, specifically, is an historical book giving an account of God's people from their time of captivity in Egypt as slaves through their freedom from slavery and establishment or reestablishment, if you will, as a people. It's a good spot to pause, apparently, as a people together. They were being instructed, which we'll get to as we study Exodus, all the way through on how to live and how to worship as God's rescued people. But Exodus, like the rest of the Old Testament, is not merely and only Jewish history and Jewish law. It is that, but it's not only that. The whole of the Bible, made up of 66 books, different genres, and and different human authors, is one book inspired by one author, one divine author, and that is God Himself. And it is telling one story. And I want to kind of set that out as we dive into this Old Testament book. It's good for us to do solid, biblical theology. And in order to do that, we need to understand, yes, the original audience, the context, which we'll talk about today of the the different parts of the Bible, that some of these things were written to specific people in a specific place at a specific time. And at the very same time, each of these stories that we read, lowercase s stories, we look to see how is it contributing to the telling of God's one grand story, capital S. And that story is about God's plan of redemption for his own glory and for the everlasting joy of his people. That's the story God is telling cover to cover. And we're going to take a slice out of it and understand it in Exodus. And how do we see God's plan of redemption being accomplished through Christ. So we're reading Exodus, an Old Testament historical book, with Christ in view. Jesus says of himself in John chapter 5, he's speaking to some Jewish religious leaders, the Pharisees of his day. Jesus says this, The Father has sent me and has himself borne witness about me, Jesus is saying. His voice you have never heard, his form you have never seen. And you do not have his word abiding in you, for you do not believe the one whom he has sent. Jesus is speaking about himself. You search the scriptures, all of the Old Testament law and prophets. You search them because you think that in them you have eternal life. And it is they, the law and the prophets, that bear witness about me, Jesus says, yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. The scriptures, all of them, testify about Jesus. The whole Bible is telling one story about God. And I just want us to have that in view as we step into Exodus. We're working to understand how God has made himself known to his people, Israel, and we're also working to understand how he makes himself known to us. We are looking at how God has instructed Israel, what it means to belong to God as his covenant people, and we are looking to see what it means for us as his new covenant people in Christ. As we read Exodus, we are to marvel at how God miraculously rescues his people from bondage as slaves in Egypt and how he miraculously fulfills every promise for them. And we are celebrating and marveling that God rescues us from slavery to sin and in Christ fulfills every promise he has made. So today serves as a bit of an introduction to the book of Exodus and its trajectory. Hence, I'm asking this question as we begin why bother studying Exodus at all? And my answer to that question this morning as an intro to the next number of weeks is this. Why study Exodus? Because God has spoken to us through his word that we might know him and that we might know what it means to be God's people. God has spoken to us through his word that we might know him and that we might know what it means to be his people. Now we're going to look at Exodus in three, kind of three ideas, and they'll be really brief. Exodus tells us who God is, one, Exodus tells us what it means to be God's people, two, and three, Exodus shows us the shape of redemption. So we're going to read a little bit morning, uh, a little bit this morning just to get us started. We're going to read Exodus chapter 1, verses 1 through 7 as a little bit of a primer to the rest of this sermon, all right? Sorry, there's a long intro. Um, Here we go. Exodus chapter 1, verses 1 through 7. Hear the word of the Lord this morning. These are the names of the sons of Israel who came to Egypt with Jacob, each with his household. Reuben, Simeon, Levi and Judah, Issachar, Zebulun and Benjamin, Dan, Naphtali, Gad and Asher. All the descendants of Jacob were 70 persons. Joseph was already in Egypt. Then Joseph died, and all his brothers and all that generation. But the people of Israel were fruitful and increased greatly. They multiplied and grew exceedingly strong, so that the land was filled with them. This is the word of the Lord for us this morning. Now... These seven verses open up the whole book of Exodus, telling us that Jacob's family, all 11 sons and their families, had moved from Canaan to Egypt, where Joseph, the 12th of Jacob's sons, had already been, because he had been sold into slavery by his brothers. We'll talk about that. But in the course of time, was raised up to a place of authority in Egypt, and while there in the land of Goshen, which is where Jacob's family moved, his family multiplied. They flourished. Now, we can look at these seven verses and go, that's interesting. How did we get here? And so, most of the sermon this morning is going to be backing up and, and, and walking through how do we get to Exodus chapter 1, verses 1 through 7? Who are these people, and why are they here? And I think this is important because it then sets the trajectory for the rest of the book. So, history first, and then three short points at the end. We're not even going to get to those three points that I mentioned earlier until the end. And I promise, I know there's kids in the room, I'm going to try to move along quickly. All right? History first, and then those three short points at the end. First, we have to go back to the Genesis chapter 1. All the way to the beginning, Sorry. You can turn there if you'd like. It's just a few pages, really. Uh, Genesis chapter 1, God creates our first father, Adam. And from the dust of the earth, God breathes life into his nostrils. God then creates our first mother, Eve, from Adam's side. Bone of his bone and flesh of his flesh. That's how Adam describes it. The two become one. Which, as an aside, is why both Genesis and Jesus himself say, this is the reason a man should leave his father and his mother and be united to his wife. God, right here in the beginning, is initiating, is starting the means by which he will multiply God's people. Why He will accomplish what he tells him in verse 28 of Genesis chapter 1. God tells Adam, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. How are you going to do that? I brought you a wife. That's what God says right here in the beginning. Fast forward just a little bit to Genesis chapter 12. Genesis chapter 12, God calls to a man named Abram. Here's what God says to Abram. Genesis chapter 12, starting in verse 1. God tells Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land I will show you, and I will make you a great nation. I will bless you, I will make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and to him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So as a childless, 75-year-old man, he takes his wife, also of advanced age. We don't get her age, I think it's just a kindness And leaves the country of his fathers and follows God into the wilderness to a place where God has promised to lead him. I will show you, God says. And with the promise of a place is the promise of a people. God tells Abram, "I will make you, make of you, excuse me, a great nation." Pretty good for an old man and his wife who have no kids, right? Fast forward just two or three chapters, excuse me, Genesis chapter fifteen. Some time has passed. Abram's getting a little impatient. He still had no children. How could he be the father of a great nation? And the Lord told Abram, you will have a son. And through him, through your promised son, all your descendants will be as numerous as the stars in the sky. God literally tells Abram to go outside and look up. I don't know if anyone decided to go look at the sky last night, a little bit out of town it wasn't stars. It was growing, glowing green, but apparently it was pretty awesome. God tells Abram to go outside and look up, and he sees a multitude of stars. And he says, do you see these twinkling lights in the sky, Abram? Your descendants will be as numerous as the stars in the sky. Verse 6 of chapter 15 tells us this. Abram believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. He said, okay, God, I trust you. Verse 7, we read that he, God, said to Abram, I am the Lord, that's the proper name for God, Yahweh, who brought you out from Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. And then God cuts a covenant with Abram right there. And that night, Abram has a dream. Genesis 15, starting in verse 13. The Lord said to Abram, "'Know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners, wanderers, foreigners, in a land that is not theirs, and will be servants there, and they will be afflicted for 400 years. But I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve, and afterwards they shall come out with great possessions. As for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace, you shall be buried in a good old age.'" and they shall come back here in the fourth generation, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. This is Genesis 15, verses 13 through 16. Generations before a man named Moses is even conceived. I will give you and your offspring this land, Abram, but know this, your descendants will have to be sojourners in a land that is not theirs. They are going to be servants there. And afflicted, God tells Abraham, for four hundred years. But I will bring them back, I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve, and afterwards they shall come out with great possessions. Now we're gonna see this come alive just a little in a couple of weeks when we unpack the, the the outworkings of the Exodus in Egypt. But God is saying, Your your offspring will go into exile in another land. But I'll continue to fulfill my promise to you, Abram. Because your people will still be fruitful. Your people will still multiply. And after a time of great affliction, I'm going to lead them out. And they're going to plunder their slave masters. Genesis tells us God changes Abram's name to Abraham, which means a father of many or an exalted father. Abraham has a son. His name is Isaac. And Isaac has a son named Jacob, and there's a lot of the story in Genesis that we're skipping because we don't have time. It's a sermon series in Genesis. So skip ahead to Genesis chapter 46. I know we went from 15 to 46, but it's okay. It'll be okay. Genesis 46, Jacob, on the run from God, God preserves his life, brings him back, even lets Jacob wrestle with him a little, But the angel of the Lord prevailed in that wrestling match, obviously, right? God gives Jacob a limp for the rest of his life, a humbling reminder, not only that he contended with God, but that God is a God of mercy. And the Lord changes Jacob's name to Israel, meaning one who strives with God. Jacob would be the father of 12 sons who would sit as the heads of the 12 tribes of Israel. Now, to get into the story of Jacob and his sons, we go back just a little bit to Genesis chapter 37. We learn that Joseph was favored by Jacob. Like my kids sometimes have asked me like, Dad, which one of you is your favorite? And I say, all of you. Is that true? Yes. Right? (laughs) Of course it is. Of course it is. But uh, Genesis 37 tells us that actually Joseph was his favorite, and his brothers all knew it. But he wasn't just favored by his dad, he was favored by God. This sibling rivalry got a little out of hand. Jacob's brothers were going to kill him. Instead, said one of the older brothers, with a little wisdom on his shoulder, said, wait a minute, let's not kill him. Instead, they just threw him in a pit. And then sold him as a slave to a passing caravan. And then told their father he was killed by, quote, a fierce animal. Right? Joseph's taken to Egypt and wired by the hand of the Lord. Again, we're skipping a lot of Joseph's story. Again, another series. Ends up in the court of Pharaoh. Sold as a slave. Ends up in the courtroom of the king of Egypt. The Lord blesses Joseph. And he's ultimately placed as second in command over all of Egypt. So when drought and famine comes to the whole region, Jacob sends his other sons to Egypt to buy food. And who do they run into? Their brother, who they tried to murder and sold into slavery. Joseph says this in Genesis chapter 45. Joseph says to his brothers, come near to me, please. And they came near and he said, I am your brother, Joseph, whom you sold into Egypt. And now, do not be distressed or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. For God sent me before you to preserve life. For the famine has been in the land these two years, and yet there are five years in which there will be neither plowing nor harvest. And God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to keep alive for you many survivors. So it was not you who sent me here, but God. He has made me a father to Pharaoh and Lord of all his house and ruler over all the land of Egypt. Interesting way for God to fulfill his promise, right? So Jacob and his whole household are invited to come to live now in Egypt. And they live and they thrive in the midst of famine. But Jacob remembers the promise given to his grandfather and his father. And from God to him personally, he's unsure. Should we actually go to Egypt? Genesis 46, Israel took his journey with all that he had, came to Beersheba, offered sacrifices to the God and, uh, of his father Isaac, And God spoke to Israel in visions of the night and said, Jacob, Jacob. And he said, here I am. And he said, I am God, the God of your father. Do not be afraid to go down to Egypt, for there I will make you into a great nation. I myself will go down with you to Egypt, and I will also bring you up again. And Joseph's hand shall close your eyes do not be afraid to go down to Egypt for there, God says, I will make you a great nation. We're not talking only about 12 sons now. We're talking about multitudes. So Jacob and his family go to Egypt. And as I said, they didn't only survive in Egypt. They flourished in Egypt. Now Jacob dies an old man. Joseph takes his father's body back to the land of Canaan, buries him, and then when he returns to Egypt, his brothers were now a little worried that Joseph might enact some kind of revenge now that their father was gone. Maybe he was just being kind to them while dad was still around, and now they're worried. Any siblings in the room know exactly this feeling, right? Right? But Joseph says one of the most profound and fundamentally deep theological truths, I think, in all of the scriptures. Genesis chapter 50, verse 20. Joseph says this, For as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good to bring about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. He doubles down on what he told them to their faces when they first showed up in Pharaoh's court. What you meant for evil, God meant for good, so that many would be saved. Jacob's sons prospered in the land of Egypt. They were fruitful and they multiplied. Now, why did I tell you all of this history? Because all of this history gets us now to Exodus chapter 1. So here's where I pray we'll see in Exodus as we read and study it, that Exodus tells us who God is. Exodus tells us what it means to be God's people. And then Exodus shows us and displays the shape of redemption. First, Exodus tells us who God is. We we saw it right away in Genesis chapter 1. God created all things. In Genesis 15, we're introduced to God by His personal name, Yahweh. I am the Lord, God tells Abraham. And Pastor Bobby Jameson says it this way, Exodus broadcasts the name of God. It is all over in Exodus, where the Lord is saying to his people, I am the Lord. I am the Lord, your God. And not only will you know my name, but you will know what that name means. And so through Exodus, we start getting this unpacking of I am the Lord your God who brought you out. I am the Lord your God who rescues. That God is God and there is no other. That God is faithful and He hears the cries of His people. That God is a redeeming God who brings freedom from enslavement. That God not only promises, but then fulfills His promises. All of these truths are attached to His name. And in Exodus, although the people of Israel already know the name of God, they will begin to understand who he is in very tangible ways. So for us, Exodus is a treasure chest that holds many riches of the doctrine of God tell us who God is, that God is holy, that God is mighty to save, that God is completely faithful, that God is perfectly just, that he overflows with steadfast. It's that Hebrew word we caught in the Psalms a few times. Chesed. He's perfectly steadfast and loyal in his love. We learn these things about who God is in Exodus. Now, it's not that we haven't heard God's name. Psalm 19 tells us that the heavens themselves declare God's glory. All of creation speaks declaring there is a God. But it's one thing to know that He is God. In Exodus, we see that He's not only the God of our fathers, He is our God, that we can actually know Him. So Exodus tells us about God so that we can know Him. Two, Exodus tells us what it means to be God's people. God's people are a called-out people. Abram is called out to leave Ur and to follow the Lord to the land of promise. Moses is called out of the wilderness to go back to Egypt in order to lead the Hebrew people from slavery and to this promised land. Later in Deuteronomy, Moses would write this, For you are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for His treasured possession out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. Moses continues, verse 9, Know therefore, the Lord your God, He is God. The faithful God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love Him and keep His commandments to a thousand generations and repays to their face those who hate him by destroying them. Deuteronomy chapter 7 verses 9 and 10. Later, the Apostle Peter would say this, applies to God's new covenant people, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a, priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of Him who called you out of darkness and into His marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Do we see the parallel? Do we hear the same language? God's people are a called out people. They are people called out from sin and from slavery and from death and are called into relationship with God. In nearly every instance in Exodus, when Moses, who speaks for God here, commands Pharaoh, let my people go. Familiar Moses language? Almost every time when we read, let my people go, it is almost always immediately followed up with this phrase, that they may serve me. For Israel, God called them out of slavery and into a relationship. And for us... As sons and daughters, God's people in Christ Jesus, we too are called out of slavery and into relationship. Specifically called into worship. Not just worship with lips and songs, but worship with all of our lives, holy and pleasing to God. Exodus tells us not only who God is, but Exodus tells us what it means to be God's people that we are called from slavery and bondage and we are called into a life of blessing and service and worship to God, that we might know him, that we might know what it means to be his people. And finally, Exodus shows us the shape of redemption. Here's what I mean. The story of Exodus is the definitive picture of God's work of redemption in the whole Old Testament. If you want to get a a, a picture, a, a, a shadow of what redemption looks like in the Old Testament, look at the book of Exodus. And this picture and pattern of redemption is seen over and over again in the life of Israel all through the rest of the Old Testament. The Psalms reflect on, and sing about the saving power of God to rescue and redeem His chosen people. It's all over the Psalms. The prophets in the Old Testament speak of future redemption to come. A fuller and more complete redemption that has the shape of Exodus. A meek prophet will rise up. He will speak with authority he will bring the nations to their knees. He will lead His people out of bondage and lead them safely into the land of promise. Whereby not by the sacrifice of bulls and goats, but by the sacrifice of His own blood, He will pass over their former sins and He will be their God and they will be His people forever. This is how God's people will be saved. In fact, all of the New Testament language about redemption, finds its roots here in Exodus where God would pass over the household and withhold withhold judgment because of the blood of an unblemished lamb. So when we read redemption in the New Testament, we have a picture of the Passover in Exodus in our minds. To quote Pastor Bobby Jameson again, God's entire plan of salvation is Exodus-shaped. In fact, he says the whole scripture is Exodus-shaped. Now, I don't know if he's making too much of that, but I like it, so we're going with it. Finally, let's look at verse 7 of our, verse, of our section today. But the people of Israel were fruitful and increased greatly. They multiplied and grew exceedingly strong so that the land was filled with them. And Moses doesn't write this, but I think it's implied, just as God promised. It's implied right there in the text. So these first seven verses of Exodus chapter one are more than just a list of names. They're loaded with both history and meaning. My hope for us as we spend more time in this book is not that we would merely get a lesson in Old Testament history, but that we would know God more deeply as he reveals himself to Israel in Exodus That we would know more deeply what it means to be God's people, what He calls us from and what He calls us to. That we would see the shape, the look. We would become familiar with what redemption looks like, even here in Exodus. That our understanding of, that our love for God's Word, that His single great story of redemption would be deeper and richer for us as we study this book. That we would know that God has and is speaking to us through His Word. He has revealed Himself and He is revealing Himself if we have ears that can hear. My prayer is that our hearts would be ready to receive that we might know the Lord. And that we might know what it means to be His people and worship Him as our God. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank You for the richness of Your Word. That every name, that every story is telling Your story, is pointing to You and Your work of redemption to make Your name great. To bring you glory. To bring everlasting joy to your people. I pray that we would have ears that hear. And minds that would comprehend. And hearts that would be soft as you remind us. Who we are in you. Remind us. Show us the beauty of redemption that is seen so fully in Christ Jesus. Speak to us now and encourage us as we come to the table. In Jesus' name, amen.